بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد Discussing the principles of purifying the heart Yesterday we spoke about a bad characteristic which is gluttony overeating and its harms and how it leads to many many other bad characteristics and we spoke about how we can gradually cut down uh, in a way that it would benefit us and now we move on to the second principle and Imam al-Ghazali rahimahullah mentions the second principle as loquaciousness which means being over talkative so yesterday, yesterday was overeating so eating there's nothing wrong with eating we have to eat to survive but the problem is overeating being indulged in food all the time so the discussion today is being over talkative talking more than necessary so the great imam starts by mentioning there is no choice but to cut it out for indeed the deeds of all of the limbs affect the heart so every action we perform by any part of the body it has a direct impact on the heart and the tongue especially so this is because it conveys the images that are within the heart Thus, for every word, there is an image in the heart that corresponds to it. So every word we say and utter, it has an impact on the heart. An image is created on the heart for every word that is uttered. And this is vital to understand. For a person who wants to seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and gain his closeness, this is vital to understand. So bear this in mind. That every time I say something, every time you say something, it creates an image on the heart. So, if it's a lie, if I speak a lie, then a false image occurs in the heart and misdirects it. So there's a false image created in the heart and it misdirects the heart. If I say something pointless and unnecessary, then the heart is blackened and made dark. So even that has an impact on the heart. We don't realize, but that's happening. Until what happens ultimately, The heart is blackened and made dark. And excessive speech leads to the death of the heart. This is why the Prophet has told us that uh, avoid excessive talking. Why? Because excessive talking makes the hard heart. And the furthest person from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the person who has the hardest heart. May Allah protect us. For this reason, Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam attached great importance to the tongue saying whoever can guarantee that which is between his jaws and that which is between his legs I can guarantee paradise for him there's very less where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said I guarantee Jannah and paradise and over here he's told us whoever can guard his tongue and guard his private areas I guarantee paradise Again, we can see why the great Imam has chose this particular principle because this leads to many other bad habits as well. He was one asked about what would cause people to enter the fire. And he said the two things, uh, the, the thing between his jaws and that between his thighs, meaning the tongue and the private parts. He وسلم, said, are people turned on their noses in the hellfire for anything other than the harvest of their tongues? And whoever is silent is saved. Mu'ad radiallahu anhu once said to him, what deed is the best? The Prophet sallallahu he stuck his tongue out and he put his hand on it and said, surely the majority of the son of Adam's sins are by the tongue. He sallallahu also said, whoever believes in Allah on the last day should speak good or be silent. And he sallallahu also said, whoever talks frequently blathers. Blathers means... Whoever, whoever keeps talking, whoever talks a lot, they, they speak a lot of useless things as well. A lot of it doesn't make sense. It's just saying, speaking for the sake of it. And whoever blathers frequently sins as well. So if you blather a lot, you commit a lot of sins as well. And whoever sins frequently, hell is most fit for that individual. Because of this, a Siddiq, Abu Bakr, a Siddiq anhu, used to put a stone in his mouth to prevent himself from speaking unnecessarily. Know that the tongue has 20 ailments, and we have explained in the book of the tongue's ailments from the revival. Mentioning them here would take too long. 
and acting upon one verse will suffice. So Imam Ghazali in another place he says, I've mentioned 20 different ailments and problems by excessive talking and what that could lead to. He goes, the time is at now to discuss that. Remember, we're talking about core principles here. So he's going to identify core principles in each category so that if a person can avoid these, automatically you'll avoid so many other ailments as well. In the Quran, Allah says, لا خير في كثير من نجواهم إلا من أمر بصدقة أو معروف أو إصلاح بين الناس There is no good in much of their conversation except for he who commands charity, good or reconciliation between people. This means that you do not speak about whatever does not concern you. So anything that doesn't concern you, a person should avoid. And limit your speech to that which is important. Therein is salvation. Anas radiallahu anhu said, a young man among us was martyred on the day of Uhud and a stone found tied to his belly from hunger. His mother wiped the dust from his face and said, enjoy your place in paradise, O little son. So Allah's Messenger وسلم, said, Do you not realize that maybe he used to speak about what did not concern him and withhold what it would not harm him to give? The definition of what does not concern one is that which if left, no reward is lost by it, nor any need fulfilled by it. So what does it mean that you should stay away from talking about that which does not concern you? Meaning, if you didn't say it, you wouldn't lose any reward. And no necessary need, it wasn't necessary. Somebody else could have done the job. You didn't have to say anything. Whoever limits his speech to this will speak only a little. The slave should account for himself whenever he mentions what does not concern him. If he were to remember Allah instead of uttering that word, it will be a treasure from the treasures of happiness. So now he's giving us some insight that this is something you and I should do take account at that time. We unfortunately speak and then we think. Or it should be the other way around. We think before we speak. But we usually think after speaking. So he's saying we should limit the speech and we should account for ourselves when we mention those things which, which do not concern us. Instead, if we were to remember Allah, do some dhikr, read Quran, or even stay silent, what would happen instead of saying that? What would happen? This should be a treasure of happiness. How then can reason allow the abandonment of a buried treasure and take hold of a pile of mud? So if I would have done zikr instead, that means I'm, I'm getting treasure. What we're doing, we're giving up treasure and going for a pile of mud. Does it make sense? If we were to give a little bit of thought before saying, we would understand that, that this is a pile of mud, meaning there's no benefit in there. There's no reward and I'm not losing anything as well. Instead, I will do dhikr rather than saying this. And it, does it make sense to go for a pile of mud instead of buried treasure? Of course it doesn't. So that's one way. However, what I'm going to say, number one, it's not of my concern. It's regarding someone else or something else. Nothing to do with me. What if what I'm going to say involves a sin as well, where I will end up backbiting or saying something bad? In that case, he says, if sin were involved, then it is like leaving buried treasure and taking hold of a flame. Is that wise? Speech that should be of no concern to anyone includes tales of travel, types of cuisine in different countries and their customs, the states of people, the states of industry and business, all of which people are seen delving into. Perhaps you would like to know the details of some of these ailments of the tongue. Know that there are five of the twenty, remember he said there are twenty ailments. So there are five that, predominant, that are predominant. So he said these are the five main ones. If you can stay away from five, you'll stay away from all 20. So which ones are the five? Number one, lying. Number two, backbiting. Number three, arguing. Number four, praising. And number five, joking. So now he's going to go into these five. And explain the five to us. And if you can stay away from these five, automatically you'll be safeguarded from 20 elements of the tongue. May Allah give us a tawfiq. So the first is lying, number one. So try and remember these. So lying, number one. Two, backbiting. Three, arguing. Four, praising. And number five, joking. So number one, the first one is lying. Allah's Messenger said, The slave will not cease to lie and be bent on lying until he is written as a pathological liar with Allah. When a person lies and keeps lying, Allah actually writes a person as kazzab. Your name becomes kazab in the register of Allah. 
On the contrary, there is a hadith that a person speaks the truth and continues following the truth until your name is written as a Siddiq in the register of Allah. The Prophet also said, Woe to him who talks and lies to make people laugh. Woe to him, woe to him. It was said, O Messenger of Allah Does a believer commit zina, fornication? Or does a believer steal? The Prophet said, Yes, that could be the case. A person is a believer and commit zina, that can happen. Or a person is a believer and steal, that's possible. It's something we can comprehend, it can be done. Then it was asked, does a believer lie? The Prophet ﷺ said, no. A believer cannot lie. Only those who do not believe in Allah's signs make up lies. So can you see over here the Prophet ﷺ is saying, yes, it's, it's possible that a believer may commit zina or a believer may steal, but a believer cannot lie. He also said, shall I not teach you about the greatest of major sins? Sahaba said, yes, tell us what are the major of the major sins. So number one, he said, ascribing a partner to Allah. Then he said, disobeying parents. Whilst he was saying this, he was leaning. He was leaning. So he sat up to say the third one. He actually sat up to give it importance and said, I'm speaking falsehood and lies. And speaking, and he kept repeating this, speaking falsehood and lies. The third of the most major of major sins is to speak a lie. He sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Allah will seal the believer upon any characteristic. Seal meaning, Allah will seal you, meaning guarantee you forgiveness and enter you into Jannah, except on two characteristics, treachery and lying. On this Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't guarantee sealing someone's acceptance. So now we're going to go into some detail and some ruling on lying. Know that lying is unlawful in regards to everything except in dire need. To the extent, the extent that a woman once said to her small son, so this is happening in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, in his presence, a woman said to a, a small child, sometimes we, we, we don't realize that, how serious these things are. She said to this little child, little baby, come here, I, I'll give you something. And this is something very, very common. You want to call somebody, you want to call a child, come here, I've got something for you. And we, we pretend to close the hand. Oh, I'll, I'll give you something. So the Prophet ﷺ witnessed this. So he وسلم, asked the lady, that if this child came to you, what were you going to give? So she said, look, I have a date. I've got kajur, I've got a date. And I was going to give the date. Nabi ﷺ said, if you had not done so, it would have been written against you as a lie. If you didn't have a date with you and you just said it like we're so used to doing this. If you didn't have anything, that would have been written against you as a lie. And remember, lying is one of the most major of major sins. He sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the hadith above has considered it even greater than committing zina as well. A person should be aware of lying, even in his imagination and inner thoughts. Now Imam Ghazali has taken it a step further. That one is actually lying. He's saying even lying in your own thoughts, consider, contemplating the idea of lying, even there a person should try and avoid. Why? Because indeed this establishes a crooked image in the consciousness until even a person's dreams lie and the secrets of the spiritual realm are not revealed to him in his sleep. Experience bears witness to this. So this has an impact on the heart, on the nafs, on one's conscious. So then even this will affect a person in their dreams as well. Of course a lie is permitted if the truth would lead to another prohibited thing that is worse than lying. Then this is permissible. Just as eating a carcass is permissible if leading it leaves, leaving it leads to something prohibited that is worse than eating it, which is the perishing of the soul. So if somebody is dying, and the only thing present is a carcass or something haram. Islam permits that to stay alive, uh, it's, it's allowed. So similarly, lying, there are certain occasions where Islam has given permission to lying as well. And Imam al-Ghazali will mention these now. Umm Kulthum radiallahu anha said, Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did not permit lying about anything except three matters. The number one, a person saying something with the intent of reconciliation. Number two, a man saying something in war. 
and the third one a person talking to his wife. This is because if an enemy were to find out about the secrets of war, he would prosecute more boldly. So at the time of war, war is al-harab al-khuda'ah. The Prophet said, war, there's deceit in war. So if you were to reveal everything about war, there's always people within you who are from the enemy, the spies. If you were to clearly say what the plan is, what the route is, then what would happen? The enemy uh, would find out your secrets and would know exactly what's going to happen, which will cause the Muslims much harm. So that is an occasion where a person is about to lie, saying, we're going to go to the east, but really you're going towards the west. So you can clearly uh, speak like this at the time of war. And if a woman were to be aware of the secrets of her husband, a corruption greater than the corruption of lying would result. Likewise, uh, so again, with the wife, over here it doesn't mean that we take this as a, as a license to just lie all the time. But as you know, uh, this is something which is desired, that there is mutual understanding between a, 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 a husband and wife. And the last thing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to see is that a husband and wife were to part and separate unnecessarily. Therefore, for example, if you're asked uh, regarding how the food is today, you might not like it, or there might be something there. But just to keep the peace, if you were to say it's really nice, over here we're, we're permitted. Because by you saying the contrary, what's happening is somebody who's been through so much work, so much effort, spent so much time, alongside doing all the other duties and responsibilities that are attached, and doing all of this, and it's so simple just to say it's, it's not nice or to make a complaint. But on this occasion, Islam actually gives us this permissibility that you just to keep the peace. Oh, it's, it's really nice. It's really nice. And just keeping it to that. So over here, um, this is permissible. And likewise, disputants between whom there is constant conflict and enmity. If reconciliation is possible lying, then it is more than appropriate. So you know there are two parties and there is enmity between them, they don't see eye to eye. And you as a middle person, although none of them have, they've been saying bad things about each other, but you were to go from yourself and say, such and such a person, you know, he was praising you. He actually mentioned you, in a, but they've not said anything of the sort. They're saying total opposite. But with the hope that maybe they might reconcile. Over here, lying is permitted here. This is what is related in the report. Similarly, to it is a person lying to protect another's wealth from an oppressor or denying another's secret and even denying his own disobedience for indeed publicizing and speaking openly about sin is forbidden. Also denying his treachery to another in order to gladden his heart and likewise denying to one's wife that her co-wife is more beloved to him. Lying is not permissible to bring about greater wealth or status which is what most people lie for. So generally people lie for the wrong reason. If it's done for example to save somebody's life Okay, somebody's there to attack somebody and they ask you where, where they are and you lie to safeguard their life or their wealth. Over here it's allowed because you're saving them from so much harm or some kind of oppression. Furthermore, if a person absolutely must lie, so even in these cases, if you have to lie, or for example, you're put in such a situation, uh, sometimes you're put on the spot or there's, there's a potential possibility of some sort of you know, just harassment or just annoyance. That if you were to sort of, somebody came to your house and you were to actually say that, yes, I'm in, or somebody's rung you and you were to agree that, yes, I am available, then that would cause a lot of hindrance to you in your schedule. And you don't want to be rude by saying no, but then you do, you're in a situation. Even then, Imam Ghazali rahmatullahi is telling us that if you absolutely must lie, you're put on the spot, you're in a situation, and it's a sticky situation, then he should not clearly lie, uh, if possible, uh, so that his consciousness does not become habit habituate to lies. So this is a very important point. That even in such a situation where sometimes you're compelled it's not because you want to get some wealth or some kind of status or you're doing it for the wrong reason. It's to just avoid some sort of inconvenience. Even then the Imam says that do not outlight lie. There are ways around that as well. And he's going to explain some of the ways of the Salaf. Ibrahim al-Nakhai 
Sometimes the great scholar Ibrahim al-Nafai, uh, when somebody would come to ask for him, somebody's come to his house, uh, is the sheikh in? Are you at home? Are you available? So he would say to his servant, tell him that instead of saying um, he's, he's not in, that would be outright lying, because then you, once you've said it once, you get a habit, and that creates a darkness in the heart. So he would say to his servant, that if somebody comes to ask for me, is he home? Tell them, look for him in the masjid. Look for him in the masjid. He's not lied. He's not said he's not here. Just say, look for him in the masjid. So they'd go away. They wouldn't ask any further questions. Um, so here a person's not lied. And you've stayed away from tainting your heart. A shabi used to draw a circle to, to his, and say to his servant, if somebody comes and asks you, is he in? Is shabi in? And whilst you're answering that circle that you've drawn, put your finger in the circle. That person won't see the circle, but you'll, you'll put your finger in that circle and say, no, he's not here. And you're pointing to that circle. He's not here. Okay? So this is how these people, when sometimes it comes to this, uh, to, to avoid this kind of inconvenience, we just outlier right uh, and, and, and make something up, which isn't right. So this was Sha'bi saying this. Another used to ex excuse himself from the commander saying, Since I parted with you, I have not raised my side from the ground except for what Allah willed. Someone else used to deny what he had said by saying, Truly Allah knows that I did not say any of that. Somebody asked, Did, did you say this? Wallahi, Allah knows I didn't say any of that. When he would say that, he would think of something else. Re referring to that. So this is permissible sometimes even for a light-hearted purpose as well. We find the Prophet ﷺ using this kind of language um, sometimes in a light-hearted manner. An old woman will not enter paradise. You've heard the hadith. That old woman will not enter paradise. The old woman started crying. That, you know, why are you saying I won't enter paradise? And then the Prophet ﷺ said, Allah will make you young and enter into paradise. Similarly, when somebody came to ask for a camel, can I have a camel? And the Prophet وسلم, said, I'll give you a baby camel. And I said, no, I want a proper camel. No, I'm going to give you a baby camel. And this person thought, thinking, why? How can I ride a baby camel? And then the Prophet وسلم, said, isn't every camel a baby of another camel? So even if I give you an older one, it's going to be a baby camel. And a woman came to the Prophet وسلم, The Prophet وسلم, said, have you seen your husband? What's wrong with him? He's got whiteness in his eyes. Now normally whiteness in the eyes means someone's become blind. So the woman got really worried. And she went running to the husband to see and she saw he's perfectly fine. She says, yes, everyone's got whiteness in the eyes. So this is, it wasn't, was it lying? There was no lying as such there. There is whiteness in the eyes. Um, so it, he took a different meaning. Similarly, a person who is prevented from eating should not lie and say that he does not want any food. Now this is interesting. This happens a lot. You've gone somewhere, somebody offers food. Oh, I'm not hungry. Whereas inside you're really hungry. So what? You're, 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 you're lying. Of course you're hungry. Instead of that, say something else. Oh, I've already eaten. You could refer to your breakfast you had six hours ago. Okay? I, I ate just before I came. You probably did. It might have been ages ago. Uh, so you, you can say, I'm full. I'm full. Meaning full of hunger. Okay, but do you understand? But you're not you, here. You're not lying. If you're saying that I'm not hungry, whereas inside you're like dying for what's on the plate, and you think, oh, I, I wish he asked me a few more times and forces me. Um, this is what ends up happening, and we become very fake and pretentious in, in, in our attitude. So be be clear and avoid the lie, because that will create a darkness in the heart. Rather, he should. Uh, not lie. The Prophet ﷺ once said to a woman who made such a remark, do not combine lying with hunger. Do not combine lying with hunger. So this was the first element of the five lying. Number two, the second element. The second element is backbiting. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَلَا يَغْتَبْ بَعْضُكُمْ بَعْضًا أَيُحِبُّ أَحَدُكُمْ أَنْ يَأْكُلَ لَحْمَ أَخِيهِ مَيْتًا فَكَرِهْتُمُمْ do not backbite others. Would one of you like to eat the corpse of his brother? You would detest it. The Prophet ﷺ said backbiting is worse than fornication. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to Musa alayhi salam, whoever dies repenting from backbiting, he will be the last person to enter paradise. Whoever dies persisting in it will be the first person to enter the fire. The Prophet ﷺ said, The night I was taken up to the night journey and to Mi'raj, I came across people who were scratching their faces with their nails. I said, Who are they? It was said to me, These are those people who committed backbiting against people. Know that the definition of backbiting according to how Allah's Messenger ﷺ clarified it is to mention something about your brother that he would dislike if he was to reach him, even if you are truthful. This is the same whether you mentioned a deficiency in his person, his mind, his clothes, his actions, statements, lineage, his house, his vehicle, or anything that relates to him. Even if you were to say his sleeves are too loose, or his hem is too long. Once a man was mentioned in front of Allah's Messenger ﷺ, and someone said he's so incompetent, the Prophet ﷺ said, you have backbitten him. Once mother of the believer Sayyida Aisha radiallahu anha signaled with her hand that a woman, she spoke about a woman saying she's really short. She didn't actually say it, she just went like this. So with the hand. So it wasn't uttered with the tongue, it was done with the hand. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, you have backbitten the woman with your hand. So backbiting from what we learn is backbiting is not limited to the tongue. Rather, there is no difference between communicating with the hand, a symbol, a signal, a movement, mocking, or even saying, some of our relatives and some of our friends are such and such. Know that the filthiest kind of backbiting is a backbiting of the scholars, who say, for example, all praises to Allah, who did not test us with coming before the Sultan and seeking the world. Or we seek refuge in Allah for having little modesty. You know, sometimes we say things and we don't realize. Saying, you know, Alhamdulillah, Allah's protected us from, you know, the, from the way such and such people behave. So, in one way, you're trying to put out there that, you know, you're praising Allah, but really what you're saying, what are you saying? Indirectly, you're saying that those people who are being tested, uh, they're doing something really bad. And it, there's a little bit of arrogance in that as well, trying to say that I'm better than them. So, this is, this is quite dangerous. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to expose somebody else by mentioning their own favor. And this is very sly. And this is one of the worst types. Likewise, someone may backbite another while those present are unaware. Some people don't know. He will say, glory to Allah. This is incredible. Subhanallah. So someone's saying, subhanallah, incredible. So someone will think, whoa, like, what's he talking about? He's going to tell us some interesting story. So you're using dhikr of Allah. Why? To get people's attention. And now what you're going to do, you're going to expose somebody and speak bad about them. So he's using the remembrance of Allah to assert filth, saying, my heart is busy with so-and-so, may Allah accept both his and our repentance. He does not intend to pray for him. So Allah, uh, some, someone might say, oh, that poor individual, you know, may Allah have mercy on him and give him guidance. And people will say, like, why, what happened? Oh, haven't you heard? I, I just pray for the guy, man. So like, what happened? No, just make dua for him. I, you know, I always make, my heart's always worried about him. Really, you're not caring about the individual. What you want to do is you want to tell people about what wrong they've done. So again, a person is now being very sly. Over here, you know, your intention is not rectification. If that was the case, you wouldn't have told somebody and sincerely, you, have, you would have made dua without telling anybody else. A person would have concealed and made supplication. Likewise, now sometimes what would happen is the listener might show amazement at the words of the backbiter such that his excitement about backbiting increases. The listener is one of the backbiters. The hadith mentions that person who backbites gets a sin. But a person who listens to backbiting is also part of the sin as well if they continue listening. Likewise a person might say stop backbiting people. So sometimes a person is backbiting. Somebody says, stop it, you shouldn't do this. Whereas in his heart, he wants to listen, but he's just pretending so that the person says it even more. Yet in his heart, he does not dislike the backbiting. His sole intention is to be known for piety, so that people would say, oh, you know, there was, he didn't really want to know about it. But the intention is corrupt. However, this does not remove him from the sin of backbiting. So long as he does not detest it in his heart, it is also involves him in the sin of ostentation. 
Rather, what removes him from sin is to detest it in his heart, reject the backbiter and not believe him in his heart. The open sinner deserves to be rejected. And the Muslim who is backbitten deserves to have good opinion of him maintained. Allah's Messenger wasallam said, Surely Allah has made the blood, wealth and honor of a Muslim inviolable, meaning sacred, and prescribed that he should not be held in bad opinion. Backbiting with the heart is unlawful, just as it is unlawful with the tongue, unless a person is forced to know of another's faults and it's impossible to ignore. So now we're going to speak about where backbiting is sometimes permitted and there's a license, there's a need uh, to inform somebody about somebody else. Sometimes in Islam we've been given the permissibility. Backbiting is licensed in only six places. So there are six opportunities, six occasions where backbiting is allowed. The first. The first of them is the oppressed, mentioning the oppression of the oppressor to the Sultan or the king in order to repel his oppression. As for mentioning it to other than the Sultan or to someone incapable of repelling it, then it's backbiting. Al-Hajjaj was backbit according to one of the pious predecessors who said, Allah will indeed take vengeance for Al-Hajjaj on the one who backbit him, just as he will take vengeance on, uh, on Al-Hajjaj for the one whom he oppressed. So that's number one. So if, if, if somebody's being oppressed and you went to the ruler, to the king, to the authority, you went to the police, for example, and mentioned it to them regarding somebody that so-and-so is an oppressor, someone who can make a difference, then over here we will not call this backbiting. The second is someone with whom aid is sought in changing an evil. It is permissible for a person to mention something to him also. That's number two. Number three, the third is the mufti. If a person needs to mention something for a question, such as Hind uh, said, so Hind, uh, a woman, went to the Prophet ﷺ, uh, and she wanted to ask a question. She wanted a separation. She wanted a divorce. So now she's asking a question to a scholar. In this case was the Prophet ﷺ. There she had to mention the faults of her husband and why she wanted a separation. So here we will not call this backbiting because there's a need to ask a question. She said that Abu Sufyan is indeed, he's a stingy man. He's too stingy for me. I can't, I can't take it anymore. He does not give me what suffices my child and me. He doesn't spend on me. He doesn't allow me to spend and he doesn't spend on me at all. Should I then take without him knowing that, you know, it, should I take from his money and wealth without him even knowing because it's reached a limit and he unnecessarily does this. The Prophet ﷺ, now because she has given her case, although normally to call somebody stingy and refer to them like this would be backbiting. Here is not backbiting. The Prophet ﷺ said, take what suffices you and your child according to custom, according to what normally would be your allowance and other husbands spend on their wife and children. If he's not giving it to you, then just take it. Okay, I'm giving you the permissibility, the license, according to what the norm is, take what suffices you and your husband and go and do some shopping for yourself. And uh, so she mentioned stinginess and oppression, yet Allah's Messenger wasallam, did not censor her. He didn't say, oh, don't backbite your husband, because it was allowed on this occasion. All of this complaining, however, is permissible because there is benefit in it. Number four. The fourth is warning a Muslim about another's evil if even if one knows that not mentioning will result in that person's testimony being accepted. Just as a person bearing witness in favor of someone mentioning things. This is the case when someone engaging in business with or marrying somebody would be harmed by them. Therefore a person should mention something only to whomever he expects would be harmed. So this is an area sometimes we fail as well. If somebody comes to you regarding a marriage proposal or a business opportunity, um, these are two areas where, and somebody comes to you and says, what do you think about so-and-so girl or boy or family? If you know something about them, you should say it. Because if you hide it, and then what happens, they do end up getting married. And then something bad happens. You know, that's a great harm. Or for example, in, in, in business, somebody's asked you regarding working with somebody and you know you've had experience or you know others who've had experience, you should let them know this would not be backbiting. Why? Because you're saving them from great harm. The fifth is when a person is known by a name in which there is some deficiency, such as um, being bog-eyed, for example, or lame uh, with their foot. 
no sin has been committed by someone who mentions that, although using another name is more appropriate. This is when that person doesn't mind. It's become so normal that person, that's just become their name. Although it is still better to use a good or better name, but when somebody is known like that, to refer to them as that, it's fine as long as that person's fine with it. And there are many examples of that uh, we find on, on a day-to-day -day basis. And the sixth is a person who is open with his or her faults. A person who's really open about the wrong that they do. They do it openly all the time. They don't, they're sharing it on social media. If somebody's sharing something wrong that they're doing on social media, that's there for everybody to mention. Now, if for example, some individual or some scholar was to expose that individual, and many people what they do is they pull out the akhlaq card on this opportunity. And they say, oh, this is, you know, this is not good akhlaq, this is not good character. You know, you shouldn't speak like this about so-and-so. They put it all out there, they don't care about it. They're saying it themselves. We're not saying it, they're saying it themselves. So over here, such as the uh, effeminate or the owner of a brothel, somebody who owns something like this, they're doing it openly. Or for example, a political leader, when they're committing zulm and oppression openly, they're not hiding it, the whole world is seeing it. So referring to their oppression, this would not be backbiting, because this is something done openly and, and, and they don't really care about it. There are three for whom, Al-Hassan used to say, there are three for whom there is no backbiting. Number one, the heretic. Number two, the sinner who is open with his sin. And number three, the oppressive ruler. The commonality between these three is that they are all open with their wrongdoing. So they do not dislike it being mentioned. According to the correct opinion, mentioning a sinner's act of disobedience that he conceals and would dislike being mentioned is not permissible without an excuse. And the excuse is over here. Otherwise, besides that, it's something that should not be mentioned. Now, how can a person treat the backbiting? Treating the self in order to stop it from backbiting requires that a person reflects on the transmitted threat in his statement. Uh, the, uh, straight, whose statement? The statement of the Prophet ﷺ. Backbiting is surely faster in destroying the good deeds of the slave than fire when it consumes dry wood. So if I was to think that I've, I've got, I don't have many good deeds, and if I was to backbite, what's going to happen? My good deeds will all be destroyed. Is it worth it? Is, again, it comes back to thinking before speaking. It is transmitted that the good deeds of the backbiter are transferred to the record of the one who was wrong through backbiting. So this is something else to think about. That is it worth me backbiting uh, and giving my, all my good deeds away to the person I'm backbiting? When you backbite somebody, generally you dislike them. So would you like to gift them with all of your good deeds? The backbiter will look at this uh, uh, and eventually what would happen, the backbiter will end up being bankrupt then the person should also reflect on his own faults. If there is any fault in him, he should be busy with himself and no other, even if he has only committed a minor sin. For he knows that the harm done to him by his own minor sin is greater than that the one done to him by another's major sin. So the, somebody's done a major sin, you've done a minor sin. Regarding that person's major sin, you don't know. It's, that's not going to harm you, number one. And maybe Allah might forgive him for that. But the minor sin that you've done, you know that it could definitely harm you, unless Allah forgives. When is a human being devoid of fault? If he is devoid of it, then he should thank Allah instead of backbiting. For truly slandering people is like eating the flesh of a dead body. And eating the flesh of a corpse is from the greatest of all faults. So he should beware of it. Whenever his trunk proceeds to backbite, he should seek Allah's forgiveness and go to the one he was backbiting and say, I have wronged you, please pardon me. If he does not run into him, then he should increase his praise of him, increase his prayers for him and increase his good deeds so that if some of them are carried over to the record of the wronged as he is the recompense of backbiting, what is sufficient for him will remain. So that was the second ailment. So the first one was lying. The second one was Backbiting. Number three. The third is disputing and arguing. The Prophet ﷺ said, Whoever abandons disputing whilst he is right. Sometimes, you know, we argue because we say, Well, I'm not in the wrong. I am in the right. I believe it to be right. 
No one's saying you're wrong. But the Prophet ﷺ said, whoever gives up arguing, whilst he is right, a home is built for him in the highest part of paradise. Whoever abandons it while he is wrong, a home is built for him on the outskirts of paradise. So if you're in the wrong, even then, if you give it up and stop arguing, Allah gives you a home on the outskirts of paradise. This is because it is more difficult for the person who is right to abandon making his point. He وسلم, also said, the slave does not perfect his faith until he leaves off disputing, even though he is right. The definition of disputing is to oppose another speech by pointing out the mistakes in it, whether explicitly or implicitly. Disputation is motivated by excessive pride in displaying superiority. It is caused by either malign, off-handedness or the wickedness of being confrontational that is found in one's nature and looks forward to belittling and overcoming another. Disputing and arguing are a means of strengthening these two filthy and destructive characteristics. And the necessary course of action is for a person to affirm whatever he hears that is right and be quiet about whatever he hears that is a mistake. Unless it were in regards to mentioning a beneficial religious point that would be listened to coming from him. In that case, he should remind the other with gentleness, not harshness. So the first one we spoke about was lying. And we said altogether there's 20 principles. But if we can stay away from five, Allah will protect us from all 20. So the first one is lying. And we understood the detail of that. Number two was backbiting. And number three is arguing and being very confrontational. Uh, so this is three. Number four now. Number four is joking. Too much joking increases laughter, which causes the heart to die. Remember, all of these permissible acts, like joking is allowed because we find the Prophet ﷺ joked, as we will see here. We're talking about excessive joking and lying whilst joking as well at the same time. It provokes malice and does away with dignity and gravity. The Prophet ﷺ said, Verily a man will speak with a word to make those sitting with him laugh, and thereby drop further to the lowest parts of the hellfire. He ﷺ also said, Do not dispute with your brother, nor always joke with him. So remember over here it's saying always, not now and again, all the time. Know that there is no harm in a little bit of it sometimes, especially with women and children, in order to make them feel good. So with your wife or with your children uh, or other people's children, there's no harm in doing this now and again. Allah's Messenger wasallam also did that as well. However, he said, I most certainly joke around, but I say nothing but the truth. Even in my jokes, there's never a lie. It's always truth. And precisely regulating that is difficult for other than him. He has been narrated that he once raced Aisha radiallahu anha. And he once said to an elder, so he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when you say, okay, don't joke too much, all automatically what comes to our mind, that you have to just be really serious. No, this is why we're being told that, look, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wasn't always really, really serious. He sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did have many, many light-hearted moments, despite him being who he was. So he went out and he, he had a race with his wife Aisha radiallahu anha. Uh, you know, if somebody was really serious, you wouldn't see them doing that. So he's gone out and he's made his wife feel very comfortable. He told the Sahaba, you carry on. And he's told his wife, come on, let's have a race. And they're outside, they're outdoors. They're not in some secluded, you know, hijab friendly environment. And they've put screens all around them. They're outside in the outdoors. Yes, he told the companions to carry on, but they're in the outdoors. And the Prophet ﷺ, he gave this opportunity to his wife uh, for some kind of uh, light-hearted opportunity. Let's have a race. And the Prophet ﷺ and Aisha radiallahu ran. And who, won, who wins the race? The Prophet ﷺ won the race on this opportunity. And uh, some time passed by. And the Prophet ﷺ, after some years, he said to Aisha again, come on, let's have a race. So she said, yes, I'm up for it. She remembered uh, the last time uh, the Prophet ﷺ won. Uh, so now what happens? Uh, the Prophet ﷺ, uh, he had a race. And this time what happens? Sorry, the first time who won? Aisha radiallahu anha. And this time the Prophet ﷺ won the race. And the Prophet ﷺ said to Aisha, the Aisha, now it's one all. Okay, this for that. Okay, you won last time, I won this time. It's one all, it's equal now. So, because Aisha radiallahu anha, by that time she had aged, 
and she had put some weight on before she was much younger she was a bit older and the Prophet ﷺ won on this occasion um, we spoke about the elderly woman how the Prophet ﷺ, uh, joked around with her as well he once said to a little boy oh Abu Umair um, what did the little sparrow do and the sparrow was a little chick that the boy used to play with and he had a little pet and it, it, it died and the Prophet ﷺ, uh, joked around with him that you know what's it doing nowadays where's your little birdie gone he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam once said to Shu'aib while he was eating some dates, you eat dates whilst you've got sore eyes. You know, your eyes I can see, uh, they're not very well. And you're eating dates uh, and it's not good for you. And uh, Shu'aib uh, radiallahu anhu replied, now he could only do this because he knew the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa was so down to earth. If someone's not a down to earth individual, you can't really joke with them. You can't joke back with them uh, because you, you feel apprehension. You think what they're going to say. So Shu'aib radiallahu anhu replied, sorry, Suhaib. Suhaib radiallahu anhu replied by saying that I'm eating from the other side. So if it's this eye, I'm eating from this side so that it doesn't affect it. And of course it was a joke there and a light-hearted opportunity. So there's no harm in the likes of this kind of joking on the condition that it's not made into a habit and it's not done all of the time. So that was number four. And the fifth one now. The fifth ailment is praising. As has become the habit of people and poets whenever visiting decent people from the sons of this world and has become the habit of storytellers for they praise any fool who attends their gatherings. Now, praising somebody, just generally, there's nothing wrong with it if a person was just to praise somebody, but then to go beyond in praising. Now, there's six ailments in regards to praising. So praising has six categories. Four of them are in the one who praises and two of them in the one who is being praised. As for the one who praises, the first element in him is that he goes to extremes and thus mentions about a person something that is not in him and thereby a liar. So one is to praise somebody and say, MashaAllah, you, you, you're amazing you are. You're the best person. You're, you're, you're the best person I've seen. Uh, you've got such good character. You're really good. Um, I've, I've not seen anyone else like you. And a person goes beyond uh, the reality. So over here what's happening, you're becoming a liar. The second is that he might show love towards someone that he does not really feel love towards. This is being hypocrite, uh, uh, like a hypocrite and being two-faced. So, you know, to, 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 to share some kind of sentiment saying, oh, I really like you, you know, you're, you're really nice and you're like this. And really inside there's nothing there. So that's false praise as well and being two-faced. The third is that he says what he does not really know. And thus he's speculating, such as if he were to say, indeed so-and-so is very just and kind and pious. You don't even know that person. But you're overpraising them without knowing, you're speculating. So this is also something, uh, again he's getting involved in something he doesn't know. A man once praised another man in front of Allah's Messenger wasallam. So he said, woe to you, you have cut your companion's neck. You've killed him off. Why? Because if you praise someone in front of their face, what's going to happen? It could create a pride and inflate their ego and you're causing harm to them. Uh, so if someone must praise someone, then he should say, I believe that so-and-so is like this, but I do not praise anyone above Allah. This, these are the words of the hadith of the Prophet I consider so-and-so like this, this is my opinion about so and so, and I do not elevate anyone above Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is worthy of praises, Allah. But I, I, I think this person's, this is my opinion, rather than making it like a statement that this person's a wali of Allah, or this person is, you know, he's reached the highest of stations, or this person is from amongst, you know, the friends of Allah, or this person is really, really pious. You don't know, nobody knows. Only Allah knows. Quran says that do not uh, uh, do not attach piety to yourselves. Um, only Allah knows. Only Allah knows those who are of, of piety. The fourth is that he delights through it the one who is praised, who perhaps is a wrongdoer. So sometimes a person's a wrongdoer, they're doing something wrong, they might be an innovator, and you're praising them. And what's happening, you're making them happy. 
and a disobedient person is being uh, praised. And the Prophet ﷺ said that whoever prays for the longevity of an open sinner has liked for Allah to be dis- disobeyed for even longer. The openly sinful wrongdoer should be censored so that his desire for wrongdoing and sin is abated. As for the one who is praised, one of the ailments in him is for pride or self-admiration to occur within him, which are both destructive. For this reason Allah's Messenger وسلم, said, You have cut your companions back. The second is that he becomes happy with it, dwells on his deeds, and becomes pleased with himself. Allah's Messenger وسلم, said, If a man were to threaten another man with a sharp knife, it would be better for him than praising him on his face. So it's better that you threaten somebody with a knife, then go and praise somebody on their face. If the praise is secure from these ailments in the one who praises and the one who is praised, then there is no harm. The Prophet ﷺ, for example, the Prophet ﷺ praised many of his companions on their face. Why? Because he knew that these people did not have pride and ego within their hearts. They were clean from it. Can today we claim the same thing? No, nobody is nothing. We are nowhere near the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. Like for example, the Prophet ﷺ said, If the iman, the faith of Abu Bakr was weighed with the faith of the rest of the world, the iman of Abu Bakr would outweigh the faith of everybody else. Now he said it in front of Abu Bakr. But he knew that Abu Bakr is not going to have an inflated ego because of this. That's different. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, if, I, if, if, if there was a, a prophet to come after me, it would have been Umar. Now this is something great, it's a very high level of praise. But he knew that Umar radiallahu anhu was of this caliber. Today we cannot claim this about anybody. We are nobody is like the Sahaba. He praised many of his companions radiallahu anhum as he knew that doing so would increase their zeal and not cause self-admiration in them. Unfortunately, this is very common nowadays, even when introducing speakers. Regardless of which scholar and who it is, there is no permissibility in praising somebody on their face. You could give a little background that so-and-so is a scholar, this is what they do, and uh, this is the experience that they've had. That's fine. That's something which is common knowledge to everybody. But then to go beyond and put title upon title upon title upon title upon title, and uh, you know, say that they are you know, one of the greatest people, they've never seen evil in their life, and they've never committed a sin, and they are so close to Allah, and they are the most pious person walking on the face of the earth, and give all, this is wrong. At the end of the day, they are human beings, and they are also prone to danger as well. Therefore, this shouldn't be done. We're concluding now by mentioning, it is the right course of action for the one who is praised. So if somebody does praise you, so we've spoke about the ailments of the tongue. And we've spoke about today, we discussed being over-talkative. Yesterday we spoke about overeating. Today we spoke about being over-talkative and how that has a very strong impact on the heart and the conscious of an individual. And we said that there are 20 ailments and we split it into five. These five are the main ones. What were they? Number one, lying. Number two, backbiting. Number three, arguing and confrontation. Number four, joking excessively. And number five, overpraising unnecessarily. Now, the things that we discussed was regarding, the, the six things we discussed regarding uh, praising were generally, uh, at the, so far we've spoken about the person praising. But what if somebody praises you? On your face. What if somebody says something about you, which is, it might even be true. If it's not true, then there's no point of getting all happy about it and excited. Because that's just foolish. Okay, and sometimes we do that as well. And that's really bad. Why get excited about something that's not even true? Somebody might call you, somebody might think, say that, oh, mashallah, you know, you pray tahajjud all night. And, you know, it, it said regarding the great Imam, Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah. Uh, that on one occasion, uh, I, I don't know how accurate this is, but I've, I've, I've come across this somewhere. That he was once in the streets and he heard two elderly women speaking. And they referred to him and said, oh, Do you know who that is? That's the great Imam Abu Hanifa, uh, Nu'man ibn Thabit. That's, that's the great Imam. And the other one said, Yes, 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 I know him. Uh, what do you know about him? Because he's the one who spends the whole night in prayer. And he, does, he performs his fajr with the wudu of Isha. 
He performs his fajr with the wudu of Isha. At that time, this wasn't the practice of Imam Abu Hanifa. It wasn't his practice. But when he heard this, he thought people are thinking of me like this. From then on, it says, he started doing this practice. That with this, the whole night he would spend in prayer and he would do fajr with the wudu of Isha. And some have written that he did this for 30 or 40 years. So that it wouldn't be held against him on the day of judgment. That people were saying this about you, but you didn't really do this. This wasn't really you. So if somebody praises you, what should you do? How should you react to this? It is a right course of action for the one who is praised to think deeply about the seriousness of his final works. If somebody praises me, somebody praises you, rather than getting all happy and excited and uh, inflating our ego, we should immediately think about how am I going to leave this world? At this moment in time, this person is praising me. But what about, what's going to happen to me at the time of death? Am I going to be on this situation? Am I still going to be on this good? What's going to happen to me, number one? And also a person should think about the subtleties of ostentation. Ostentation meaning showing off. And that's going to be a whole topic in itself. So a person should think that, hang on. Um, my good was supposed to be between me and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. People know about this. And what could happen? I could lose all my rewards. So a person should think about this. And a person should think about their evil deeds. So this person is praising me. But what about all my sins? So think about your evil deeds. And to recollect the inner flaws that he knows about himself. Especially his thoughts. Okay, maybe in action, people don't know my secret action. Uh, and definitely people don't know my thoughts. My thoughts aren't pure. Okay, maybe my public actions might be good. But what are my, my thoughts and my private actions, my secret deeds? And think that, what if this person praising me was to find out how I am really behind closed doors or in secret or my thoughts how they are? Would that person still praise me? This is why some of the scholars have said that when somebody praises you, at that time a person should not become excited. A person should not inflate their ego. A person should not get carried away by this, by this tarif. Why? Because they're not really praising you. If somebody praises you, do you know what they are praising? They are praising the concealment of Allah. In Urdu we call it the sattari. The sattari of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is sattar. Sattarul ayub. Meaning he conceals and hides our sins. If somebody does your tarif, somebody praises you, they're not really praising you. Who are they praising? They're praising this. There's a curtain Allah has placed in front of us, which is hiding our sins. You tell me, if somebody was to know all the sins that you've committed and the wrong that you do behind closed doors, would anybody praise you? Would, they even, would anybody even want to sit next to us? Would anybody even want to spit on us? So is it wise that when somebody does say something good, we get all excited? What's there to get excited about? So this is important because we need to know first of all what's wrong with us and number two what to do about it. If we don't know, if we don't have this knowledge, years will go by and we'll carry on in this behavior of being deceived by ourselves. Be deceived by the nafs, it will continue and we won't be aware. So to think about one's sins, uh, to think about the evil result and a person should show a dislike for praise and hate it in his heart. So there's two things over here. Dislike it with the tongue and also dislike it with the heart as well. Somebody praises you and you say by the tongue, no, 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 you know, I'm nothing, I'm a Mr. Nobody. But inside you think I'm everybody. Okay, I'm everything. And your tongue, you're saying, you know, it doesn't make sense. This is being again two-faced. Many times, even sometimes a person is speaking, so somebody's praised them to the maximum and then they've come on and they said, you know, I'm nothing like this. There's no need to say this to anybody. You, this, this is an action of the heart. So the humbleness and the humility does not... Again, because through that as well, a person could think, I'm going to say this so people think I'm a really humble person. So it's, it's a very thin line a person is treading on. So we conclude by saying, he should show a dislike for praise and hate it in his heart. The Prophet ﷺ alluded to this with his statement. Throw dust in the face of the one who flatters you excessively.
We've been told that if somebody keeps praising you on your face, what are you told to do? Get some dust, get some soil and throw it on their face. This is the hadith. I know a scholar, I know a scholar, uh, a senior scholar, that there was a woman who used to write to him and write poetry about him and praising him all the time. So one day what he did, he got some soil and he put it in an envelope and sent it to her in the post, practicing on this hadith. He couldn't go up to her face and throw it on her face. Because what happens if you keep praising somebody on their face, what you're doing, you're inflating their ego. And a person will become proud and arrogant, what happens? They become distant from Allah, you've broken their back. Why are we putting people in this difficult situation? So, this is what the Prophet ﷺ said, throw dust in the face of the one who flatters and praises excessively. Someone once said when he was praised, Oh Allah, this slave of yours has sought to get close to me through your disdain. And with you as my witness, I disdain him. And finally, this is very interesting. Ali radiallahu anhu said when he was praised, somebody praised Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He used to say, this was his reply, Allahumma la tu'akhidni bima yaqulun waghfirli ma la ya'lamun. What did he say? Oh Allah, forgive me for what they do not know. Meaning, my sins they don't know. They're praising me, oh Allah, forgive me for what they do not know and do not take me to task regarding what they say. Because uh, they, they, they're saying good things about me, but I'm not really like that. So Allah, on the day of judgment, don't hold me to task. People used to call you this and this and this, but you weren't really like that and make me better than what they think. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us a tawfiq wa akhiru da'wana and alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin.